Michael Russo coming to you from Elsie's in Northeast Minneapolis. I'm very happy to be joined by one of the most respected agents in the game, Ben Hankinson, former gopher extraordinaire, former NHLer. And uh, right now you got about $300 million worth of long-term contracts in the NHL. So uh, I bet those players are very happy. It's time to head out to Elsie's and do some bowling. <laughs> Join a league. Exactly. For sure. Um, I did a podcast today with Ray Shiro, and uh, Ray, Ray said that you're one of his favorite agents to negotiate contracts with, and he told me already right off the hop to ask you about a funny story when he, um, when he brought Paul Martin to Pittsburgh as a free agent. He calls you up to negotiate the contract. He's under pressure. He's got to get himself a defenseman, and you're like, well, all right. And it's after free agency started, and you're like, all right, uh, Paul will be here in about 20 minutes. And he's like, well, where's Paul? And you're like, oh, he's biking in here. Like like on a bicycle, driving to your office, just typical Paul Martin. Just it was not- so great having Paulie come into the office because he realized how crazy a situation that is on free agency and having all these decisions he had to make. It was funny, uh, the New York Islanders' Garth Snow was the one team that was the most aggressive on him signing with the Islanders. And at that time, they weren't very good. It was an old building, and I told Garth Snow, he's never going to play there. I said, those seats are so bad. It's like sitting in an old movie theater, like from the 40s. You have springs coming through, and he's like, can't get Paul on the phone right now and tell him he doesn't even sit in the goddamn seats. He sits on the bench where he has a pretty good view, and he'll be on the ice most of the time. That's a great line. It's so true. What was it like? So he saw, he makes a decision to sign with the Pittsburgh Penguins. What's that like calling Lou Lamorello and saying, hey, you know, a guy that you really respect, that you played in his organization, you know, all that. I mean, how do you tell a, how, make that call to say, hey, you're losing Paul Martin? Yeah, that was tough. He drafted me, Lou did, and made a bad decision in 87 <laughs> to draft me. It's the only and, bad decision he's ever no, made. Oh, no, he drafted McAlpine, too. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one because Paul wanted to go back there, and Lou is notoriously very, very slow. He lost Preezy. He just is slow in making his decisions. Um, and it's a, it was a great place to play. And once we got closer to free agency, the Ray Shiro was with Pittsburgh, and he ended up uh, letting a deadline pass with Ray Shiro. He gave me, like, five minutes at one point, and we just let it pass because we had the L.A. Kings – yeah. that uh, we were deciding between as well. And then it came down to the wire, and he ended up – I had to call back Ray, and Ray had made the offer to another defenseman, and his name, I believe, was Hamhuse, mm-hmm. another good left-shot yes. defenseman with, that was supposedly – and you never know when you're dealing with teams what's true and what's not. And he, he ended up then, I think, you know, redoing the offer or backed out of that and signed Paulie, and Paulie had one more year – and he was making $5 million. We had a six-year deal at $5 million for Paulie to sign with Pittsburgh, and Paulie didn't want that extra year. And now you go back and look at it, that extra year was the year that Pittsburgh actually won the Stanley Cup. Wow. So I don't remind Paul that. Don't say anything <laughs> about that. And then, and then he ended up going to San Jose the next year, right. and then he left San Jose, and then I think the next year. Yeah, no, yeah. San Jose didn't win the cup. No, they, San Jose they, played Pittsburgh. Yeah, he was on like, San Jose oh, as Burns' yes. yeah, as Burns's what it partner, was. and this poor guy had to be on the other side watching the Pittsburgh Penguins win and the I, cup and against I, his team. I was in Pittsburgh last week for the Penguins head training camp. I have a couple clients there. Uh, Mitch Rinke is from Stillwater. Teddy Bluger is from Riga, Latvia, and Jake Kensel from, uh, lives in um, 
El on Lake Elmo right now, but I ran into Brian Burke, who's a consultant there, and I got in a big FU match with Brian Burke over Paul Martin because he was trying to sign Paul, mm -hmm. and I never got back to him, and it was a huge flurry of events with Paul because we were just scrambling back and forth what to do when he signed that deal eventually, and he wasn't going to go to Toronto, and I should have told Berkey probably then, he's not coming, move on. There's mm -hmm. no chance. And instead, I moved on to something else, and there was probably six or seven teams. And still to this day, Brian Burke w is furious with me <laughs> over. And I finally started saying F you back to him. It's Berkey, come on. Like, yeah. You know, that's just this business. You get burned, you've burned me too. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. And, yeah, and I was, because he's now a consultant, and I was talking to them. They have Jake Gensel who's coming up in a couple of years. Teddy Bluger's up after next year. So I was meeting with Ron Hextall, who's their GM, and he's fiery, competitive, hot like Berkey is too. So it gets, it gets ugly with these guys. And so for Ray, I don't like, that's a... That's kind of not a compliment for Ray to say he likes dealing with me because that means <laughs> he's had success. But yeah. uh, it gets really heated with these guys. So you have to, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the player signs and you put him in a good spot and hopefully it's a good contract yeah. for them. And sometimes it doesn't turn out to be that way, but you base it on what you know at the time. And Ray Shiro and I have done a lot of contracts together. Alex Galagoski was one of the most interesting, who's now a uh, wild defenseman who's going to have a big year, by the way. You, my <laughs> wife is telling me she can't hear me back there. And, and uh, Ray Shiro, when he signed Alex Galagoski, he flew into our office, and Chuck Fletcher was the GM, actually, mm -hmm. of Pittsburgh at the time. And Alex Galagoski weighed about 130 pounds at the time, probably, and he had his arm out with a shoulder injury, and they, I think, had regret on whether they should sign him or not, because he was sticking with his arm like this, and they were offering him hundreds of thousand dollars to leave Minnesota at the time yeah. to sign, and they ended up doing it, and they, they looked pretty good Isn't doing it. Isn't that the story I wrote about it, where, where like, they walk into the office and they ask, like, like who is that guy? It was Shiro. He right. asked, like, who is that guy? And, uh, and Chuck's like, uh, that's who we're here to see. Yeah, and, and Alex probably looks about the same right now, yeah. and he's he's just as good, if not better, than, uh, than he he's certainly than he was then. Yeah. Um, got. By the way, our next live show here at um, Elsie's is October 18th. Our next live show is at Split Rocks, October 12th. So definitely, everybody, come on out at that October 12th show. We're going to be introducing Joe Smith, um, the athletic uh, new athletic wild beat writer uh, that's going to cover the team with me. So come on out to Split Rocks up in Wyoming at October 12th. October 18th, back here at um, Elsie's. Um, Gensel's one of those fascinating... Like, I always wonder this about agents. Like, even Pat Brisson, he just signs Nathan McKinnon to the highest-paid contract in the NHL, and yet you know deep down Pat Brisson's like, I could have gotten him 15. And, you know, Gensel's always that one that I, uh, I'm always amazed at. Like, uh, you know, you as an agent, you probably know that deep down you could have gotten him more money, but Gensel's the type of guy that's like, you know what, that's that's enough. I want to... I wanna, and And... You know, that's the impression I always get from him. Is that pretty fair? Yeah, that is. It's completely fair. He is uh, so good, and he's sneaky good. He's sneaky, the nicest guy around, too, but he's just ultra competitive. He's, he's, it seems like he's squeaky clean, but he'll gouge your eyes out if yeah, he has to. Especially to get on the golf And he doesn't. he doesn't. Well, on the golf course, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. He's just uh, he's that competitive. He told me on his contract to stop. And yeah, you know why? Because he plays with Sid Crosby, Malkin, Latang. He plays with some 
pretty good players, and he is smart enough to realize that he was young at the time. He didn't want to make too much money. He makes a lot of money. He's making $6 million a year. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, at the time, you know, maybe we could have squeezed him for another $100,000, a year, but Jake would have had to play without a contract during that time, and he didn't want to. He wanted to get it done. He thought that was enough. That fits into what we're trying to do. We're a good team. We want to win. And you got Sid Crosby on one side of him and Malkin, like I said, on the other side. And he knows that's that obviously we all know that's that's more money than most people make, obviously, in a lifetime in one year. And, you know, Jake scored, you know, I think 40 goals that next year. He scored like right off the bat, like a bunch of goals. And I said, Jake. You cannot do this to me. You're making me look terrible. How am I going to get any other clients? <laughs> You're making me look like it's yeah. a terrible contract yeah. already. And he said to me, um, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have my contract. I, you know, that's, that's the stress of, you know, being one injury away yeah. from, you know, that it's almost an insurance policy, too, when you sign these contracts earlier. I just did it for a player, Timmy Stutzla, who's a German uh, hockey player in, in Ottawa. And he has one year left on his contract, and he just signed an eight-year extension. Yeah. And he, you know, if he goes out and hurts his knee, he'll get paid this year on his entry-level contract, which he makes nine hundred twenty-five grand. And then he signed an extension for eight years at over eight million dollars a year, right. which is a lot of money. And Ottawa's thinking, okay, we're getting ahead of this. He's going to score forty goals, get a hundred points, and he'd cost us, you know, ten million dollars or whatever the number is. And that's that balancing act that Ottawa's done that with a lot of guys. They've had to make hedge their bets and try to, you know, make the right decision early on these players. Is that why, is that why, like, you know, I've had this uh, conversation with a lot of sports writers that we always wonder, you know, there's been a gazillion eight-year deals in the last year. It's, it's unbelievable, the number in the NHL. And with the cap going up, you know, we, we, I, I often wonder, like, why would you, like, even a McKinnon or, you know, sit there and say, hey, you know, why not wait? Maybe sign a two-, three-year deal. But the other part of that is, as you just said, now Stutzler's guaranteed this money for the rest of his career. Is that the balancing act that you have to make that deep down as an agent, you know that if he hits his projections with a, with a cap that could be $100 million in three or four years or five years, whatever it's going to be, that you might have gotten, been able to get him $10, $12, 15000000 million? Is that, is that sometimes what you have to decide as an agent? Absolutely. That Timmy Stutzla, who you guys maybe haven't heard of, but you will if you, if you turn on the Ottawa game someday, they, uh, they really improve their team. But that's a decision he made is the same as Gensel is we've got some really good players around here. Now they signed Giroux. They got to in the trade. They have Kachuk signed Norris Batherson. They got Talbot. Um, oh, it's funny. I was with Billy Guerin the other day and it was like four days ago. And after Talbot obviously got shipped to Ottawa, I, I was with him and it, uh, Dean Evanson was around and, uh -huh. and, and, and there was another coach there. And, and I said to, Billy, I said, oh, that's crazy about Talbot not reporting. Does that affect you at all with the trade? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I go, Talbot won't report to Ottawa. He said he's not reporting. He never approved the trade. And Billy was a little bit rattled for just a little while. But I think he probably liked it <laughs> if it happened. But uh, back to and for that. For the record, everybody listening, Ben was playing a trick on uh, Billy. Billy. So, and, and back to Timmy Stutzla. Um, we were saying he signs that deal, uh -huh. and you're saying, well, oh, well, like, look at Kaprizov. Yep. You know, like, they got ahead of it with him and locked him in, and it's not an eight-year deal. He wanted the world, right? right? And he's those Russian players are a little different. For them, it's all about the bling, and, and it's a different 
different, you know, than a, the Minnesota kid. It's different than Jake Gensel. I'm just going to say it. It's a different mentality where they come from and, and everything. And, um, you know, I think these teams are, are, are smart, but it's a balancing act. You know, how much to commit to these guys. And I think the cap is going to go up, you know, in the next three years, maybe $10 million. And, you know, Kaprizov... You know, if he did sign after what last year, you know, his contract is is you know easily, you know, probably eleven million dollars yeah. or whatever it is, and he's proved you know, he's that good, yeah. and they knew it. I watched the Stutzla uh, press conference where he joked about how he missed like ten different calls from you to to say, "Hey, I got you this deal." Like, how does that work? Like, I always think that you know that the agent during a contract negotiation is constantly giving updates, getting approvals. But a lot of times with a lot of your deals, it sounds like that you are the one sort of negotiating the contract. And then it's like, hey, all right, I came to an agreement. And then you're letting the client know, hey, I just signed this. So was that one of those situations where Stutz was like essentially gave you the keys and say, just get it done and tell me when I need to sign? Yeah, that's what's so interesting. Everyone has a different, just like investing money, tolerance for risk or Jake Gensel signing now, that's enough mentality. Um, you know, doing Nick Bukestead when you were in Florida down there, I remember you were around and, and he said, that's enough, do it. And he was worried about an injury or every player is so different. Timmy Stutzla basically said, you tell me, you know, what a fair number would be. But just so you know, I want to get a deal done. I want to buy into this team. I want to sign for something that's fair for both sides. I don't want to grab every penny I can because I told him he, you know, basically you play it out, you have a good year and you could sign for $10 million a year. You get hurt and there could be $0 there for you too. So it's tough. It's when the players give you the power and that's what Dustin Bufflin used to do all the time. He just would tell me, which is crazy to think, you tell me the contract and I'll sign it, whether it's one year or eight years or everything in between. And one one year he was playing with Chicago and Wisniewski was on the team and he said, all I wanted, I don't care, just get me one penny more than Wisniewski <laughs> makes. That's all he cared about. So um, in that case, yeah, Timmy, I didn't even talk to Timmy. Right. And I told him I got it. He was, he was fine with the number a little bit less than that. And I was trying to get a little bit more. And once we got that number, I, I, and this is where it gets tricky too. Like that GM could go grab Timmy and look him in the eye around me and get some really important information. When I've had that happen before with a player in Calgary, they went to the player first and said, this is what we want to offer you. What do you think? And if the player says it sounds good to me, then all of a sudden they call me and I, I say, not a chance. We yeah. need a hundred grand more or whatever it is. Timmy Jackman was his name. Yeah. And it was a crazy situation where... They brought him in the night before and made him an offer, and it was like $800,000, which is still a lot of money. He was a fourth-line banging winger. And, guy. and we said no, and they said, uh, well, he's got a deadline till tonight. And I said no, and Timmy wanted to take the deal. And the next morning after uh, I told the GM no, and he said, okay, it's off the table. I said, that's fine. And it was at the trade deadline. Timmy showed up, and I got a call. And he was in the president and the GM's office upstairs, and they were trying to get him to sign the deal. And he called me, and he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, walk outside right now, get it, stay on the phone with me. And I told him to go downstairs, go put your equipment on in the locker room, and go out for practice. He said, I can't. I'm right outside their room. I said, walk out, go down. And he did it. And then I called the GM, 
his name was Jay Feaster, and the president, I can't think of his name in Calgary right now, called me, and they said he's standing right outside my door, and he wants to do the deal. Is it Ken King? Or, or yeah, it's yeah. Ken King. Yeah. And he, I said, God, that's pretty good that you know that. <laughs> Thank you. And they said he's doing the deal. I said, no, he's not. He's on the ice. And then uh, I wanted him to go somewhere else, and he stuck around there and got maybe another 50 grand or whatever it was. But it was such a painful thing to go through that a, a GM would do that. But they can go right to the player and shake him around a little bit and see what their genuine reaction is. to. So he, they, Timmy Stutzel, they could have grabbed him and said, you know, the number is 815. Are you good with that? And technically, I'm his agent. They could just do the deal with him if they really wanted to as well. I don't know what this made. This reminded me of this story when I was in Calgary once and Eric Belanger was going out to the ice for a morning skate. And I go to him, I'm like, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going out to go out for the morning skate. I'm like, you know you were traded to Washington, right? And he looked at me, he's like, what? And then he walks out of the ice, and then he freaking storms right by me. Like, he went out, the trainer grabbed him. He was, what, the way it was supposed to work is that he was supposed to go out on the ice. The trainer was going to tell him, go back and talk to, I can't remember who it was, Todd, Todd Richards or Mike Yo, but I happened to catch him first. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, same, build, same building. That's why they love you here in Minnesota. <laughs> Michael Russo knows more than anyone out there um, on any team. <laughs> I had Chris Kunitz, yeah. who won four Stanley Cups, I yeah. believe. And he was just won a cup with Anaheim. He got traded, and they just handed him the phone. Randy Carlisle, who's a coach in Anaheim, walked by him, said, here's a phone call for you. You've been traded. He got traded to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. which ended up being fabulous. Yeah. But uh, that was it. Yeah. He went home, got his stuff. What do I do? He never talked to anyone yeah. else. Never. That was his the yeah. phone call from the GM or the coach, Randy Carlo, handed him the yeah. phone. And he was gone after winning a cup and didn't talk to him. I said that to Shira today on the podcast. I said if you had to, if if I had to pick the two best Sidney Crosby line mates in his history, it would be Chris Kunitz and and Jake Ensel. And who's what's the common denominator between both? Ben Hankinson is the agent, so there you go. And you know who helped make that trade with Kunitz was Chuck Fletcher, yeah. too, because he was in Anaheim, and he was a huge yep. part of that. Yep. Uh, and, college free agent, right? Kunitz yeah, was he was a college free agent, exactly. Um, there's your guy, Tim. I found out uh, Mr. Tuttle there played at Adina High School. Uh, that was one of the No, big- he was a great goalie growing up, right, yeah. Tuts? Yeah. Oh, it was his brother Mike. Well, you said. shot at him, I'm sure, and got him really good, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. See where to go to here. Let's uh, you know. Let's move to to Brock Besser. I mean, just you know, can't, this this poor guy can't catch a break. It just feels like every year he goes to camp, and it's either a contract dispute or it's a uh, <laughs> or an injury, and he goes and and plays a preseason game, and I assume took a puck to the hand. Is, is yeah, a puck yeah. or a slash? I think it was a puck. That was an injury he had before in college. Okay, he's going to be okay. It's this time. It's a little broken bone in there. I believe, and uh, he had surgery on a Monday. He'll be out three to four weeks. He'll be fine. I yeah. talked to him, and and it's actually probably a pretty good time mm-hmm. to yeah, get banged up you if know, you do. Yeah, he'll be he's, back. They're not playing for real yet, and he he'll be ready, in, you know, soon enough. You expect? I mean, I, as you know, I sat down with him um, a, a, a couple days before he left for Vancouver, and we had a really uh, touching sit down about the loss of his father Duke and. And I was there that day that you arranged the last time that Duke ever got to see Brock on the ice at the morning skate. And there was this, you know, still touching moment that I remember during that where, and I know you'll remember this, where, where he was flipping pucks, trying to get his dad's attention. And there was a moment where he just sat and stared at his dad for like, it felt like forever on the ice. It was just, 
And it, and I knew right away that he was thinking this is to be the last time that right. my dad had seen it. I mean, how um you know how how much um you know did that loss affect you? Just knowing that the, the relationship that you have both with Duke and Lori. It was crushing that we've been a lot through a lot with that family. Um, she worked two jobs. She helped care for Duke at home for many, many, many years. So it was a real painful process to see. And it, it was very taxing to Brock, especially being out in Vancouver. We went down after that morning skate and Bruce came out. I grabbed Bruce. He started talking to Duke. And that whole time his caregiver member was holding Duke's head up. He couldn't even, you know, hold his head up and he couldn't make it to the game because he couldn't stay up and it was too hard to get him there. And the, the, it was a blessing when he passed. And it was, I think, a peaceful, you know, way to go and say goodbye. Everyone was around. Everyone got to say their last goodbyes. He hung on there strong and fought like heck for years uh, watching, watching Brock. And Brock was really strong. And I think um, the blessing is that, that Brock got to spend, you know, his whole life with his dad and has wonderful memories. And he was truly like an unreal human being. And his wife, Brock's mom, Lori, is, is just Same. superhuman. And, it, yeah, it was sad, but uh, he's in a better place, 100%. Yeah. And, and it's going to give Brock a lot of strength the rest of his life, I think, to have that relationship yeah. that he had with his dad. When I, when I think of Duke, I just think of, what, one, the pride that he had uh, for Brock. Um, but but uh, he really was like a gentle, gentle person. You know, always smiling, just so, um, you know, uh, again, just like proud. I, you yeah. know, he loved coming to the rink and things like that. And, and for somebody that um, had the Im immense amount of adversity that he's dealt with beyond just, uh, you know, cancer and, and getting hit by a car and, and obviously what went on at the end with dementia and Alzheimer's, it just, uh, I think it said everything about the strength. And Brock said to me, he goes, you know, when I get there and, and, you know, have a little injury or some adversity during the year, he always thinks about like, well, this is nothing compared to what, you know, his dad uh, has had to endure. Yeah, yeah, and and they, he has a ton of great memories. His dad coached him. His dad was a cheerleader. He didn't pat him on the butt and tell him he was the greatest all the time either. Yeah. He was, I think, real honest with with Brock, and and was a was a great father figure, friend, and everything else that yeah. he could. He was lucky. What was that day like when he made his NHL debut? Uh, you know, he, it's it had to be just a whirlwind to get the contract done, and then next thing you know, he's he's playing against his hometown Wild that night. Yeah, and I, it was crazy even the night before. Contracts take about, you know, usually 24 hours to get approved. He lost the night before in Fargo to BU. I already had basically, right when that buzzer sounded and the season was over, I had agreed to a contract with Vancouver, and they were in the process of getting it approved. But Brad Berry, the head coach of North Dakota at the time, said, no, not so fast. He's coming back with the team. I was going to take him right to – St. Paul with me from Fargo, which would have been an hour closer, you know, but instead he went back to the team, which was the right thing to do, ended the season, got together, and then um, found out that Brock was signing. But to get that contract approved, it was a one o'clock game the next day. And um, Brad Berry, the UNH coach, ended up driving him to the airport the next morning. I picked him up at the airport, raced him in, and even more importantly, Duke read the starting lineup, yeah. which you've probably seen on Twitter, was, yep. or the video of it is so great, where uh, Willie Desjardins, the coach, let uh, Duke read that, yeah. with the help of Laurie, too. Yeah. 
and it was actually really funny, but it was it was unbelievable that that happened. It couldn't have worked any better for him to lose and end his college career, but then play at home at the X against the Wild. I think the Wild beat him. He scored a goal. We had a suite for the game that, you know, kind of got locked up, obviously, well ahead of time, too. But a lot of things fell into place, and it happened with another one of my clients this year. His first game was at home that uh, Noah Cates yeah. with, uh, with Philly, too, which is yeah. so cool to see those kids that because, you know, they're wild fans, obviously, yeah. but then they're playing against the wild, which is so funny. It is. It's, it's amazing. I mean, how that, how that just works out and, uh, and how many guys have gotten to play their NHL debut that are from here against the wild. Um, let's go Ryan McDonough. Uh, one of my favorite Ryan McDonough stories is you negotiating the contract to Castro's. <laughs> the contract extension with Steve Eiserman. Um and Lasty just sitting there probably just watching like an audience. Uh, we have a mutual friend. Um, tell, tell everybody that story. I know you and I have discussed this before on a podcast, actually, so this might be old news to some people, but, I mean, you it's probably the only time that you've ever actually negotiated a contract with a Hall of Fame GM, a uh, Hall of Fame player that's now a GM, with the client standing right there at a cigar club. And that wasn't the plan at all, which <laughs> is so unique and unusual. So I picked up Stevie Eiserman, who, who I have a – Huge admiration for. Like, I was in uh, Detroit for a little while. I was there for a training camp. I stuck around for a couple weeks of the season. Stevie was there. He was the captain. I thought he was the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. And then I got pushed down. Scotty Bowman said he wanted me to. Uh, we had a, I had a place with my wife in uh -huh. Novi, Michigan. We rented a I thought I was going to be there all uh -huh. year. And then Scotty Bowman said, uh, Hank, uh, you're going to go down for the weekend. We need you to play games. I wasn't good enough to be in the lineup to start the season. So they were just going to send me to the minors for a few days, right? And so I said, so I just need a, a few, uh, one suit and a few uh, shorts and T-shirts or whatever it was. Uh -huh. And he said, yep, that's it. And I'll see you when you get back on Monday. So 25 years went by, and I didn't see Scotty Bowman. <laughs> <laughs> I reminded him, and I said, do you remember that, Scotty? Yeah. He said, no. I'm still wearing he the same. He remembered yeah. who I was. Yeah. He, he uh, should have said, I'm still wearing that same suit, by the way, that I brought to I Grand said, Rapids. I said, do you remember the day that your son, Stan, who was the GM of the Chicago yeah. Blackhawks, I said, do you remember the day that he rented a car and the rental car got stolen? Yeah. And he said, yeah, I remember that. And I said, yeah, I was in the meeting and you took that call from Stan. And he goes, oh, now I do remember. <laughs> yeah, now <laughs> I know who you are. I sent Scotty a text the other day just to wish him a happy birthday. And I, and he, you know, I, I said, do you remember, by the way, when you had a beeper and the only way reporters could get you is to beep you? And you'd like, you literally, I still have his beeper number on my phone. And you'd beep him, and then he'd call back. He's like, yeah, this is Scotty Bowman. That's so funny. <laughs> this is a Hall of Fame coach. And so I said, now look at, you've upgraded. Now I can text you at like 80 years old. And, you, you know, that's your birthday. So I was on my way to pick up Iserman. Mm -hmm. And at the Mall of America, there's that uh, JW Marriott, I believe. Mm -hmm. So I was going to pick him up at the airport, go to the JW Marriott, and meet with him. And... McDonough was going to come too, but Lasevich, our mutual friend, called and said, why don't you bring him down to this little cigar bar yeah. in Minneapolis? And I said, sure. And I picked up Eiserman, and then I got on 35. And, and remember, the other thing about that day is that he was only in town like for like five hours yeah. because he was flying to L.A. to meet with Pat Brisson yeah. to try to sign Tavares. Tavares, exactly. So this was a stop on the way, and the whole purpose was just to lay the groundwork. And bring Ryan McDonough and just kind of show him my plan for the team, who's coming up on contracts, Vasiliev, their goalie, and, 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 and you know, just where he fit in and how much money I have and why you're not going to get a huge chunk, but here's what we have targeted. So 
we ended up going to Castro. So uh, your friend, my friend, Mike Lastovich is there. Chris McAlpine, my business partner, is there. And Ryan McDonough and I. So the traffic was, there was terrible construction on 35W. So it yeah. took forever. And I was a little worried it was not a good play to bring him down there because he had to go back to the airport. So we sit down there and I start, and I, I shouldn't say this because Stevie Eisenman is the greatest of all time, but I start kicking McDonough under the table. Like, are you, are you okay if I run with this thing? And so I kick him and I go, can I like negotiate? I'm trying to, you know, get him. Green to, light. Yeah. And he, he, so I start walking down that path because it's really hard for a GM. Usually in these negotiations, the agent builds the player up and the GM is basically telling, like pointing out all the negatives and all the flaws and why he should sign for less. But it's really hard to do that. And Steve Eiserman is an ex-player and so am I. And he's not, you know, some shrewd lawyer. So I, it was kind of the perfect element to have McDonough there and me facilitating it and Ryan just listening, but me starting to go, well, would you do six years? Would you do this? And he got a little uncomfortable and then he actually left the room and, and made a couple calls and said, I, I, I need to use a calculator. And I said, well, there's one right on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know that call was to Julian Breezeboth. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know 100%. it was like, hey, uh, you're smarter than me. Do I? Uh, and <laughs> and believe it or not, Ryan left the meeting. You know, we, we somehow kind of came to an agreement. There was a few other little things to the structure, some no trade language in there, which ends up being really uh, yeah. strong now that it was an important part of it. But Ryan, like, had to sleep on it. But I said, we have a deal, Ryan. We basically have a deal. But then after he slept on it, he felt a lot better about it, yeah. too. But when you, you know, it's one of those things. When you walk out after buying a car, you don't yeah. feel that great yeah. until, you know, you kind of yeah. absorb it a little more. But uh, it was unbelievable that we came. He was not planning to sign Ryan McDonough yeah. then. And then we ended up kind of getting another year on the contract or two. And then the... What happens is the AAV comes down a little bit if you add term on it, as we kind of all know the yeah. economics on that. Right, so we're thrilled to have Moe's as one of our new sponsors here on Worst Seats in the House. And Moe's Ice House is a new spot at Fogarty Arena. I've been a guy that was a youth hockey parent. I've been to those weekend tournaments where you're at the rink seemingly forever. This is a great spot if you're at Fogarty to swing in, grab some breakfast beforehand, grab some lunch afterward, in between games, in and around ice time, your kids are out there practicing, whatever. But it's also just a great spot to go just on a game night and watch a game. It's a little off the beaten path, but it's right at Fogarty Arena. Solid menu, great TVs, a cool big open bar area where you can sit. It's likely to be the host of the Donkey Hockey League draft this year. Uh, they've got a great banquet room off the backside. Uh, what I tell you now is on my first visit in there, I went with one of my old favorites from... The old Moe's restaurant, which is the pastrami sandwich, on a it's on a pretzel bun, but it is phenomenal. So go check it out, Moe's Ice House uh, at Fogarty Arena up in Blaine. And if you have to have stay home for your meal, then swing into Kowalski's and pick up whatever you need for dinner. We've had a few really good ones lately at a pork tenderloin there. But I went back and tried the... 40-day USDA Prime fillets after we had made them at our podcast live at the Kowalski's parking lot to try to match what we made that night because that night I thought those were some of the best fillets I've had. We had them again. They were good. They weren't quite as good as, as what we made that night, so I might have to go back to Troy Schmeling, the head of their meat and seafood department, and 
find out exactly how he had his grill set up. Those were a little better. Even though I was the same guy grilling him, I think they were a little better that night. But it's outstanding, so check it out. And when you head into the meat and seafood department there, you'll be thankful that you did. Anytime you're going to have a great meal, you got to start there and go to Kowalski's. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Let me ask you this. I mean, uh, you know, not to put you in a tough spot knowing that this is, you know, you know, you're, this could be out there. Um, but this summer, um, Ryan McDonough has no trade protection in his, in his contract. Um, it's traded to Nashville. Um, I, I get the impression from knowing a lot, having a lot of sources inside that room in Tampa Bay that a lot of those players are not pleased with the way that this all went down. It, sh- it certainly felt like Tampa Bay in a cap situation held a gun to Ryan's head and essentially forced him to wave his no trade to go there. And the, the report that's come out since is that, and I don't know if you could put confirmation of this, is that Julian Breezewell basically said to him, you don't no waiver, no trade. I'm just going to put you on waivers, and I know a team that's going to pick you up, and it's Columbus. I mean, is any of this accurate? I mean, how, how did this all go down? He, it was right around the 4th of July. I think it was maybe the 2nd of July, mm-hmm. I want to say. He had a flight to come back to Minneapolis, and he's got a little lake place in Wisconsin. So he was flying home with his family. A little lake place. I've seen that lake place. Yeah, it's a nice place. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's nice. And I pass that place when I go to Lunati's place, really? who's, by the way, a very nice place as well. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's his escape because yeah. he, he doesn't – well, now he has another house in the cities here. But so how that went down is – he called Ryan into his office and said, I have no choice. We have these contracts up. The salary cap has been flat the past few years. Um, I'm in a terrible spot. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to move you. And he has that clause in his contract that they, they can't trade him with us without us approving it. So I think, he has a good relationship, Julian, with Columbus, and I think Columbus could have been a really good fit for him. And Ryan had to take a couple days to think about how you handle it because they did this something similar scenario with Stamkos, who blocked it and didn't go anywhere and ended up being a big part of that team. And, and the players obviously don't fully understand the business side of it. Certainly they do, but they understand the impact that Ryan McDonough has on that room. Like, he is so good. Yeah. He's such a strong leader. He's a warrior on that team. So he's got his family, and he gets on a plane. He lands, and we're talking, and he's rattled, I'm sure. Like, what do we do? And so I went through all the teams, and we tried to figure out trades to different, including the Wild. And Billy Guerin was phenomenal in the process, trying to figure out how could we fit Ryan McDonough into this puzzle. And his puzzle's pretty full. Like, there was no chance. It was making a move he didn't want to make. But Billy explored it. So I I love Billy Guerin for that, that he tries and he realizes. Because my argument was, you know, like a big, rugged, 
winning, you know, shot blocking, big body, you know, is, is, could help that team. But he absolutely couldn't fit it. Yeah. And Ryan McDonough is getting older. He has four years left at a big number. So that's hard to fit in with a lot of teams, all the good teams that you can't just jam it in within like two days. So then I think Julian got, got um, he had to make moves. He had these other players that he ended up signing, like three yeah. guys, right? So it, you kind of understand the business, and it stinks, but that's the business of it. And Ryan doesn't like it, but he understands the business of it, and he makes a lot of money, like a lot of these guys, to play this game they love, and they do it for a lot less, obviously, too. But uh, it came down to the wire where it was like the 4th of July or the 5th of July. And every time I talk to Ryan, there's kids screaming in the background. He's on the boat or trying to figure out like a big, big, big decision. So we went through some teams where it didn't work out. And then at the end, yes, he might have put him on waivers and there might have been a threat. And it might have come down to the last half an hour where David Poyle pulled the trade. But then I'm going through the teams. If he does go on waivers, okay, it's, it's Montreal. It's Ottawa, it's Philly, it's Detroit was in there. There is some scenarios that it might not have got to Columbus, and Columbus could have been a place that we waived the no trade to, too, because it's a great place. But we ended up working out a trade with David Poyle to Nashville, and they think Brian McDonough might be the piece they're missing, yeah. and they're an older team. And, and I'm thinking, okay, there's also no state tax in Tennessee. Well, yeah. That's kind of nice if you're yeah. making six-plus million at 8%. That's about close to you know $500,000. Yeah. Um, but Nashville's a great place, and he ended up there. He could have ended up at yeah. Columbus. So that's pretty accurate, some of the things you asked about. You um, just reminded me of a great story that Ray Shiro told me today where he calls up Marshall Johnston, the old the old Ottawa and Carolina scout uh, lives up in Brainerd. I texted him. Love today. Marshall. He's the best. Yeah, he's the best. He drafted and, me. Um, so he te- texts Marshall. He calls Marshall up to say, hey, I was just offered this Nashville assistant GM job. You know, should I leave Ottawa? And he goes, hmm, David Poyle is a great guy. You know, so, you know, you're getting more money, a long-term deal, no state taxes. He goes, why are you calling me for it? He goes, well, I'm calling for advice. He goes, well, my advice to you is if you don't take the job, I am. So, <laughs> typical Marshall Johnston uh, says that. Um, by the way, I mean, I, it, it, you know, it's it's funny how one move affects another. You wonder if Ryan, McDon- if Ryan McDonough winds up in Columbus. They probably can't afford nope. Goudreau. I don't so think so. Just, yeah, no way. It's, just, it's, cr- it's crazy the way that works. Um, you know, something that you that you mentioned about Stutzla that I wanted to ask you is is, and we had this we had this great conversation last year. Um, Remember, I brought that kid Brody down to uh, meet you down at uh, at the Beauty League or at down, just at Braemar during Octagon Camp, and we were talking about you know being an agent, and you were talking about like yeah, it's it's wonderful when you sign a Jake Gensel or Dustin Bufflin or this or that, but but there's a lot of investment that goes into players that either never make it, everything's on your dime, and I was thinking about with, with Stutzla is that you're probably you're flying to Mannheim to try to recruit him. You have no idea if he's going to wind up signing with you, if he's actually going to turn out to be a player. You're spending probably. You know, fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars to go just go fly them, wine and dine them. How, how gratifying is it when you make that trip? You actually land a player, and then next thing you know, year and a half later, you set this guy up for life. Yeah, it's crazy. And for every Timmy Stutzla, there's a lot of players that that never end up getting there. And when I saw Timmy, I flew to Toronto first to see him, 
and he got hurt the first game. I saw him maybe play a period, and I thought, okay, he's got it. This kid is really good. He got hurt in this tournament in Toronto, so I make a call to Kyle Dubas, who's the GM. First, I called Brian McClellan, who's the GM in Washington, who lives in Lake of the Isles, yep. by the way, former North Star. Yep. Yep. So I called him because— I love because, those houses at Lake of the Isles, yeah. by the way. It's nothing yeah. better than walking around that lake. I know. Looking at all these homes that I'll never be able to live in. <laughs> Me either. Um, but so Brian McClellan, the reason I called him, because they were playing Toronto the next night, and there's a guy on the Washington Capitals, I'm sure you've heard of him, Alexander Ovechkin. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking maybe we can bring Timmy Stutzla down to the Capitals skate in the morning to see their doctor, and then he can bump into oh, Ovechkin. And Timmy, Timmy Stutzla will like me then too, because I'm all of a sudden bringing him into a, yeah. you know, a good situation to get him uh -huh. better, see the doctor. But he wasn't on the trip, so right. I end up calling Kyle Dubas, and he says, Hank, I'll set you up with our orthopedic surgeon. He's the best knee guy in Canada or wherever, in, in Ontario. So I spent the next day with Timmy Stutzla getting his knee checked out. His mom was calling me. How's he doing? He missed the rest of the tournament. But it's the best thing that could have happened to me because then I show him. I can, you know, kind of help you th through these you know, tough situations, you're hurt. I had to deal with the German coach with a translator telling me he couldn't play because they were, you know, maybe he was going to play that game with a bad knee and his draft was coming up the next year or whatever. So it's kind of funny how that plays out. But yeah, like it's, it's very gratifying. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's also, it's really tricky because it's like parenting or anything else. Like, they haven't made it yet. Timmy Stutzla is a yeah. one heck of a hockey player, but that could, you never know what happens in the next eight years, nine years. That's a long time. Like, he might be a Hall of Famer or he might play 10 more games in the NHL, knock on wood. But um, he's pretty dang good. But you, it's still, it's all about, you know, these guys, the way they're wired, their everything about their, their, their lifestyle that they haven't, you know, they got to prove it every day. How gratifying um, is it? I mean, you, you know, you. I mean, I'm just thinking of your laundry list of clients from Brock Nelson to Braden Shen to Darcy Kemper, Jake Ottinger, you know, all the players that are along the way. But, you know, early in your career when you decide, you know what, I'm going to go from playing to finance to now, hey, I'm going to try this agent business, you're probably going years without making your first penny. You know, what's it like for you and your family when you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm just – you know, throwing money after money after money to try to make it as an agent, and yet it takes a while to get that first home run client. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like you know, I, hey, I'm gonna decide I'm gonna make wine or or whiskey, and you now got to throw it in the barrel for freaking twenty years before right. you could even pop it. You know, I mean, and, it's got to be stressful. And that when I got into the business, I, I I actually looked at a few other things before I decided to give the agent business a try. The stock market, I was going to get into trading and some other things and the market was tanking. And thank God, um, you know, I did take a chance and said, I'll, I'll, you know, I didn't, I wasn't that excited about going around waiting outside after being in the locker room and coming out and seeing your parents or, you know, if you ever played in the NHL, signed a few autographs. I didn't want to be that that snake waiting there, yeah. you know, to recruit players because that's what you have to do. You have to wait and you have to, you know, be a salesman before you're an agent, and it's hard. And and there was no money, so I I could either at the time made made like fifteen grand a year or just go on a hundred percent commission, which I I didn't. I wasn't good enough as a hockey player. That's why I think I'm a decent agent because I'm hungry and I know what it was like to be on the other side of it. Um, but, well, I obviously it was good. I played in the minors a little bit, in the NHL a little bit. But after seeing, you know, I hang out with all these 
guys that are in the NHL. So yeah. you, you think, oh, I wasn't very good. But <laughs> um, but it's so my five years, I bet. I, we spent the money we saved and worked out of the basement and finally got like maybe a Wyatt Smith or an Eric Westrom or finally Paul Martin. Um, those were the big ones. Once you can get Paul Martin or Galagoski, uh, we had a good run with some defensemen at the at the University of Minnesota. Galagoski, Leopold, Ballard. Those once those guys start believing in you and do a good job for them, um, it kind of just helped. And that's how I ended up getting like Galagoski has been my best client of all time because uh, he recommended me to Darcy Kemper when he was his goalie in Arizona. And I talked to Gar Darcy Kemper on the phone and we hung up like three or four years ago and he said, sounds good. I said, what do you mean sounds good? Do you want me to fly out and meet with you? He goes, no, it sounds good with you. Is everything's good? I go, what do you mean? I'm like, am I your agent now? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, you don't even want me to fly out and meet with you? And so Galagoski helped me get Darcy Kemper. Luke Shen, Braden Shen, picked up Patty Maroon, okay, I picked was up Alexander Steen, yeah. uh, Brock Nelson. Those are all, you know, lucky, but uh -huh. but going out and seeing games and, and maybe maybe doing a couple decent yeah. contracts or treating the guys the right way, and you get you put yourself in a good position. I'm trying to think, where would Galagoski have gotten known, like guys like uh, the Shens and and all that? Where well, he play? played with he he played with Luke Shen. Okay. And Luke Shen uh, was at the end of his deal in Arizona, and so we were doing a lot of grinding with Luke to find him his next deal because he actually went and played in the minors a little bit and spent a lot of time finding out the right place for him. And then his brother was up, and he was with a different agent, and we ended up picking his brother up through yeah. Luke. Braden's a heck of a player. Luke, um, I was talking to Quinn Hughes at the uh, NHL media tour in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and Quinn Hughes could not stop talking about Luke Shen and what he's meant to him there. Um, uh, trying to think. Oh, you know, I got an Instagram message from somebody today that wanted me to ask you. It's probably his uh, brother or buddy or something. Like, what's it like working with Chris McAlpine? How instrument instrumental has he been to you uh, working with you? All that stuff. So I'm thinking this, this is probably somebody like McAlpine's like, hey, do this for you. Ask this question. <laughs> Mac is great. He was a, a freshman when I was a senior at Minnesota. He ended up being a captain. And he broke. I had some penalty minute records at one point that he shattered. Yeah. And we used to fight in practice. And he was a big, gnarly defenseman from Roseville, um, dumb as a, a, a bag of nails back then. <laughs> uh, so we went to Jersey together, and he did not have his stuff together back then. He he didn't know he had to be at the rink at a certain time, and, and I was kind of the low man on the totem pole, but we'd have like a stretch, like 45 minutes before he'd go on the ice, uh -huh. and he had to be there an hour early, and the hotel was right across the street. And I would have to call him in his room because he didn't have cell phones in and say, get over here. I'll throw your laundry bag out the side door. Like, we're all in here stretching, Mac. Like, this is crazy. And I did that a few times where, you know, and then basically he was good enough, talented enough, and gritty enough that he played in the NHL a long, long time. So when he retired, um, one of the last years before he got in the agent business, he told me he was going to quit, and he pulled a joke on me. He got sent down from Chicago and he said he's quitting and driving home and John Castino the ex-twin uh used to handle some of our players finances and he handled Mac's money and I said you're 
drive to our office. We're going to talk you off the ledge, Mac. You got to play one more year. You're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to get there. You're going to play in Chicago. And so we waited till like nine at night for him to get home. And he called me at like 10 at night or we waited till 10, whenever it was. And he called me and he was kidding. And he drove out to Norfolk to the minors and played a joke on me and, and made me sit in the office till nine o'clock <laughs> one night. But he's been unbelievable. He's an ex-NHL defenseman and he's yeah. really good yeah. recruiting, working with the yeah. GMs, working with everyone in between. I remember when he was on the Ducks. Before you ask your question, uh, Jack, I, I, the, the one thing, I, you know, you mentioned before how you're good enough to play in the minors and like, you know, and uh, like I'm amazed at the money that the guys can play, make in the minors now. Like when did that change? I, I remember every contract was 67.5 in the minors. It's like max you made. Now guys are making like 450, 500. You know, I, you did some unbelievable work with Prosser uh, getting them money at the end there down the minors. Like one, how much do you wish that you played today? Uh, to make this guaranteed money down there. But, like, when did that change? I mean, is it the, is it the money that guys can make by threatening to play in Europe that, that caused the amount of money that, 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 that guys make in the minors now? Like, how did that change? Yeah, I just think it's uh, every team goes through at least 10 defensemen a year. Mm -hmm. So they have to have the depth, and they want to pay. It, just a, a, it gets to be a little bit of a supply and demand Thing where they want to get that guy, and they creeped, they crept up a few years ago to four. Now, like Vinny Letary, who's an NHL player, I think he's making five fifty in the minors, yeah. and that's a big that number. Guy? That's my guy, yeah. um, and that's a big number. It's just crept up over the years because, like Vinny, played half the year in the, more than half the year in the NHL last year too. So it kind of makes sense that teams, you know, they get the the. the you know, the certain guys make ten million, and then there's a lot of guys around the you know the minimum at seven fifty, and then there's every team has three or four guys making you know maybe three four hundred five hundred. I don't I think is tops in the minors, is but it yeah, it's gone give, up. Yeah, is it true you have to give half your Vinnie Letary commission to Louis? Yes, yeah. yeah, more than half. He does some <laughs> of the negotiating too. Exactly, Jack. Question. Yeah, so for uh, young aspiring general managers like myself and like Dylan over there as well too. Question is from an agent side or perspective, like what would you say is some advice that you would give for general managers that are coming up that for making a negotiation process easier from an agent's perspective and also kind of making an easy process and building trust with general managers as well too, from an agent's perspective. Yeah, so you want to be a GM? A, you, an aspiring yes. agent. That's what you should be. No, he's yeah. too smart for that. Look oh, at okay. him. <laughs> right? He's smarter than that. He's going to skip the agent side of it. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, very more interesting. job security being an agent, though, I think. Do you think so? Yeah. Well, I it's think so. like I just can't imagine like the, the pressure on all these coaches and GMs, yeah. the winning. It's it's just uh, you don't enjoy the wins and the losses are crushing. Yeah. I'm lucky. I just cheer for players. Yeah. I obviously cheer for teams and I love the wild, of course. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a business of just being around the rinks nonstop. Everyone's a little different. I think a lot of the GMs now are ex-players and have made their way through the organization, scouting, working at the junior level in some capacity. Are you in hockey right now at all? Yeah, I work for St. Thomas's men's hockey program. You do? Perfect. That's a great route right there. Uh, talk to Rico, talk to Corey Leyland. He's been in the you know those leagues. Yep, Leon as well, Leon too. Leon is the greatest. He's, he's the man. Yeah, he's the best. Um, I just saw him in Pittsburgh and spent some time with him. I think pick those guys' brains, keep 
doing whatever, the video, that's one way to get into an NHL team. Work your way up through video to be an assistant coach, head coach, or jump over to the management side, the scouting side. I mean, the more you can get on your resume, like anything, the better. And if you're a hard worker and you're a, a good person, like you said, the, the relationship building, like it's 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 no secret. If you work hard, you're smart, and you're a good person, like you, there's going to be room for you doing something with a team. And it's just working your way up and being a part of the team and, you know, whether it's starting out being a equipment manager, picking up towels to eventually, that's how a lot of guys have gotten their way. Like Doug Armstrong, the GM of the St. Louis Blues, he's won Stanley Cups and he was with the North Stars. I think he started in the marketing department and there's a few other guys like that too. I mean, Brent Flair, the assistant GM of the, the Philadelphia Flyers was a, a ticket account salesperson for the Florida Panthers. Chris O'Hearn too with Arizona yeah. and stick, yeah, Joe, stick boy. Joe Will, who's with the St. Louis Blues, he worked for the Stars selling season tickets. Um, oh. San Jose Sharks, right? Yeah, what did I say? Uh, Blues. Yeah, sorry, the San Jose Sharks, who's associate GM, and I was still the assistant GM. Um, I'd say just, you know, push the buttons with any time you can get a coffee with someone or – you know, whatever it is. I mean, I'd be happy to go sit down with you sometime and, and have a cup of coffee um, and awesome. talk about it. But but it's just it's just meeting people, doing what you're doing. Instead of sitting there, pick up the microphone and ask a question and start connecting dots. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're I appreciate welcome. it. What do you, um, you know, is, is there any party that's ever said, you know, like Ken Hughes just became GM of the uh, Montreal Canadiens. My, my brother actually used to intern for him back in the day. Wow. Uh, when he, when my brother, my brother is a, a, a um, a uh, partner at a law firm in Atlanta, but originally he wanted to be an agent. He was working for Ken Hughes, coincidentally. Um, but you see a lot of Jeff Solomon, who you started with, right? Is you know works for the LA Kings now forever. Is he now with the Ducks or Kings? He's, he's still Kings. he's with the Ducks. Ducks now. He yeah. was the associate yep. associate GM until Fat Pat Verbeek got right. the job. Now yep. he's an assistant GM. And we've seen it. I mean, there's been Ray Shiro started as an agent. Um, all that. Like, is there any party that's ever said, you know, I'd like to try that? I think it'd be fun. It'd be really fun. I uh, I would love it if you just said, "Here's your job," and and it'd be great to try to win a championship. Right. I actually and a twenty year deal. Yeah, I, I this, the, the security though, and the that you you're it's like you're a politician. Yeah, almost. So the, even Billy Guerin, like it's not a glamorous life. It's just an absolute grind. Yeah, these guys, it's nonstop dealing with like all the Caprice Kaprizov yeah. stuff this summer in Russia and and the, the military, you know, yeah. kind of battles they had to go through. And you know, you can call them twenty four seven. Yeah, and, I, I'm constantly bothering them. Yeah, like I I I don't know. If I, I like, I would love that, but I love the flexibility that I have now. Like I can, especially with COVID and the way things are changed yeah. now, you can. I could be at my, at a lake place, you know, working a deal, yeah. or I don't have to go. I mean, I do have to go to the rinks and go to the games and see the right. guys and keep them happy because the minute I don't, I'm fired. Yeah. But I, I, you know, it'd be hard to give up all those relationships I have with the guys too, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I'd love it. I don't think I'll ever do it, yeah. as crazy as that sounds. Well, just watching the whole Bill Guerin stuff this year, like I just did that story sort of the behind the scenes of how what the Kaprizov stuff was like, and I left out probably 80% of the stuff, yeah. you know, because it really was like a – it was like a it was like a spy game movie of this, like burner phones and safe houses and just all sorts of stuff that they were having to deal with. I think Bill Guerin ever thought that he'd be dealing with this stuff when he was just a, you know, jock hockey player. Next thing you know, he's dealing with – you know, international diplomacy. That's the crazy thing about Billy Guerin. Yeah. He made a lot of money when he played. Yeah. And I played with Billy. And he was a great teammate, one of the greatest of all time. And I, you know, knew he was going to do well. But 
you know, honestly, I thought he'd really have to surround himself with good people, and he has. But the biggest thing about Billy is, you know, he can go into the locker room and, and you know, be brutally honest, like kind of, you know, giving it to players too. Like he can be – because he did it. He did it as a player, so you have his respect. But then the decisions he makes, like he's made some hard decisions where a lot of people question – but he's doing what he thinks is best for the locker room, the team. The I mean, it was tough getting rid of Suter and Prezi, like terribly tough decision. But he turned the locker room over to the guys, and it was the kids. You know, their their older peers, you know, were gone, and now the locker room was different. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 just a lot of tough decisions he's made with Talbot and and everyone else. He's he's not afraid to 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 you know a lot of GMs won't make a move because. Especially like teams, you know, it's like they don't make trades with Chicago or close rivals either because it could come back and haunt them twice as bad. Like if someone gets traded, send Talbot to, you know, Ottawa or whatever. But that ended up just being a trade because Billy wouldn't wouldn't do that. But one bad trade can haunt you forever. Like making big deals. I'm proud to share that my friends at Aquarius Home Services have received the Minnesota Best Gold Award by the Minneapolis Star Tribune. You voted them top home services company in heating and cooling, plumbing, electrical, and water treatment services. I've worked with Aquarius and know firsthand how they always put their customers first and work hard every single day to earn the right to be recommended. They treat you, your home, and time with absolute respect. Congratulations to the entire team at Aquarius Home Services. Any questions or concerns about your water, heating, cooling, plumbing, or electrical? Well, they're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention, Russo sent you. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. If you're thinking about selling your home, now is the time, my friends. Over at Chris Lindahl Real Estate, they are absolutely money. You can get a strong cash offer. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer with Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Don't worry about the hassle of constant cleaning and home maintenance. Sell your home with Chris Lindahl today. I told you many, many times he sold. Actually, his uh, colleague, Jen, also uh, really was a huge help in helping sell my uh, condo in downtown Minneapolis a couple years back. So go to chrislindahl.com right now. Fill out a quick form. Receive an all-cash offer on your home today. No obligation. The guaranteed offer allows you to bypass the market and sell your home hassle-free. That means no showings, no open houses, no stress. Just choose when you want to move, and you will with uh, you will close with confidence. That is Chris Lindahl guaranteed offer. It keeps you in control. It's that simple. Go to chrislindahl.com to get a guaranteed offer on your home today, so you can start packing. Certain restrictions apply. Um, any other questions for Ben, and or we'll wrap up the show. Here we go. Come on up. Yes. Hi, guys. Thank you, Michael. I love your show. Thanks. Uh, so my question is about international players, non-North American, and kind of behind the scenes, how they get acclimated to the NHL if they sign an NHL contract. Not just superstars, but the, you know, finding, finding a home, finding a community, or if it's, you know, if it's through the Players Association or through agents or through the team, how they get acclimated off the ice. It's a great question. Yeah, your job is not just to negotiate a contract. You're a 
a little bit of everything, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You get, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a financial planner, insurance salesman, you're a coach, psychologist. Yeah. So that's a great question because it was so funny when I was, uh, breaking into the minors, we had, um, Lou Lamarillo and New Jersey Devils, they, they kind of broke the barrier by getting Fatisov, Kasatanov, Russian players from the Red Army way back in the day. And I was a roommate with uh, Vyacheslav Fatisov, who's just like the wow. king over there. Yeah. He was so great. King, not even over there. Yeah. He's one of the greatest hockey players ever. Yeah, so he'd tell me to order room service, and he'd say, get me ranch dressing. And I'd, I'd say, I'd say French. No, ranch, ranch. <laughs> he was saying ranch or French. I'd screw it up all the time. Um, oh, he, he was a cla- he was the best. Uh, so we had a player on our team in the minors named, uh, uh, we had a bunch of Czechs. Uh, C-Mac was a player who ended up being MVP. I got traded with him. He didn't speak a word of English in the locker rooms and that's like they wanted us to be good to those guys but it never kind of comes to your attention because just naturally you got to be a good person they're on your team Yaroslav Modre was in his wedding was a check from that played in a long time in the NHL but you're basically what you're doing is you're acclimating these guys to take your money because you're all fighting to get to the NHL so you're obviously good to them but the C-Mac I ended up getting traded to him to Tampa never spoke a word of English and then when we got traded together, he started talking English to me on the plane. Everyone called him Bobby Brady and would kind of poke fun at him. I luckily never did and had that relationship. But it's a game now of, yeah, like it's, it's every team has like a team services guy. And I think they really have to spend a lot of time with those guys. Like, I mean, just the immigration issues alone with the visas and the, and the licensing international. I have Tim Sutzla and, in Ottawa, and we're dealing with the team, whether it's uh, you know getting an international license or what. But but teams usually take care of that. Us as agents have to do obviously more importantly. We have to go above and beyond with the wives, with the families coming over, with you know that ends up being you have Europeans. It's a lot more work. And do they get connected with you know Stutzla? You said it's from Germany, like a dry sidle or a group hour or somebody. That's from Germany. Do they have existing relationships there? Or is that helpful? Existing players? That are- yeah, for sure. Connect any dot you can. Sometimes it's it's uh, like I get I get uh, people in the community that'll find a way to connect to us. And you know, I'm a local businessman. I'd like to help him out doing this. And obviously, you really have to do your homework because you know they're gracious enough to help, and it's not as easy as just saying yes because you don't know what you're getting into. But uh, it's a combination of all of that to be honest. And I think, you know, a lot of these guys now from, uh, you know, the Russians, the, the Europeans, they take English at a young age now. So they, a lot of them come over and play in North America and Canadian junior, or even in the USHL or colleges now and get that start a lot earlier. And, you know, and then we have to work on green cards for them. And depending on if they marry a uh, you know, someone for their spouse from North America or whatever, that process takes a long time. But it's, it's, you know, it's hockey is the one language that, you know, not everyone speaks, you know, Malkin in Pittsburgh still doesn't even speak great English. And so it is, it is a, a, you know, something that you think would be a lot easier streamlined than it is, but it's kind of, everyone does it a little bit different, but teams definitely uh, spend a lot of time on that. Thanks guys. Uh, So you were talking about, uh, your everything 
coach, psychologist, financial planner, and everything. So that's where my question comes in. <clears throat> so I think it was Jack Johnson uh, that got screwed over by his family. Uh, so how do you help a player with that kind of situation where they want to turn their finances over to somebody that's a relationship, you know, where you're trying to do what's best for them. And then from a financial planning standpoint, kind of what do you do in that regard? Yeah, that's a good question too, because I don't really handle that specifically for the reason that some agencies will handle the money for the clients. And, you know, the whole reason is to make sure it's maybe taken care of and all under one umbrella, but it gets tricky because I, you know, a lot of agents then will charge, you know, as part of their fee for handling their money, and that's kind of a tricky because sometimes if you got compensated, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like I don't want to have anything to do with Brock Besser making, you know, six million dollars a year, and I get a little bit of a percentage because there's sometimes there's kickbacks, which I think is so wrong. And that, and it's, it's. I don't know if a lot of people do it, but it used to be the case where you'd get, you'd get a percentage back of it. But uh, we do have um, a financial planning firm that that does it separate. Not a lot of my guys do it, but our firm handles basketball players, baseball players, football players, and it's more common with like a European guy that they do handle it in those cases. But um, the financial planning. Um, I just got off on a tangent. What was your? What was I don't know. It feels like you're nervous because your wife just walked up to the mic. That's just me. So. Yeah. Oh, how do we handle the Jack Johnson? Yes. Oh. Yes. That's just a feel thing. It's so tricky. With uh, you know, I am so lucky. Hockey in general is is so blue collar and so much more normal, I think, than, than the other sports. But the Minnesota families that I deal with, most of the kids are kids are college educated. They come from you know, hey, buy the used car, keep your college lifestyle as long as possible. Because there's horror stories like that, especially in other sports. Like I don't, I like find that so intriguing to read that story about Jack Johnson. And I say like, how can that happen with your parents too? And there's been stories about even, you know, agents. Yes. Yes. uh, Yeah. yeah. Like it's so hard. So we have to kind of, I like quarterback it, but just make sure, cause there's a lot of good ex hockey players in this area that are really solid financial planners like Danny Brooks does it does a great job Wally Chapman there's tons Benny Clymer is fabulous with the guys who Jake Taylor yeah there's there's a lot of good ones and and it's just making sure I have to from a bird's eye view just watch who they're hanging out with kind of what's happening they everyone wants you know sometimes in Canada it's more prevalent where the parents maybe you know want want a house you know, as a payment, sometimes it happens where they want, you know, can you buy us a cab and all the money we spent on your hockey? And then the in-laws want it. And then it gets tricky. And then, you know, eventually I'm, I'm recruiting young kids that I have to answer to the parents. And then eventually it's the kid. And then eventually it's the wife. Or, you know, so it gets, there's a few. So you have to, you know, constantly, you know, know what's going on and what advice they're getting and what restaurant their brother or bar wants them to start or what's, you know, crypto or, you know, it's just, it's so tricky with all that, that it's just passing the sniff test and just asking them, you know, and knowing, you know, when they buy a house, what they're doing for a mortgage or what they're, I just had a player call me today, an NHL player 
that's buying and selling his house. And he called and asked me, um, you know, do you think I should do a contract for D? Because the interest rates are are pretty high right now. And it's, you know, and I, it's like I can give him some advice on it, but, you know, I don't want to be responsible for, right. you know, because it can go south with, you know, if they ask me and I start t- making those decisions for them, I could be next thing you know, I'm taking money out of their pocket too. Yeah. Yep. Question. Okay. Question. Um, actually, not a question, but maybe tell the story about when your youngest son made a comment about your McDonough contract. Well, it's a good one. <laughs> I got in a big fight my, with my youngest son, who's 21, 20 right now. Um, I should know he's not 21. It seems like it sometimes. Yeah. But <laughs> he's got a beer in his hand. Um, <laughs> so we got in a big fight, right, Gwen? And, and, and he said to me. Yeah. Yeah. And he said three things to me. He said, Dad, he just went right for the jugular. He said, well, what did he say about my dad? I can't say that. You are the worst dad ever. You're not. He basically said you're not as good as your dad. Yeah, and he said you're going bald. It's so obvious. You're losing all your hair, and wow. everyone knows. And this is the part. He said everyone knows you're a terrible agent, and that Ryan McDonough is so underpaid. And I didn't care about the other two, but the Ryan McDonough being underpaid was just <laughs> crushing. I think about that often. I think to because he was like, "Wait, now is yeah. he really underpaid?" <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think who we recently signed that you could say like he probably thinks the same thing about Gensel or something. Jake um, Ottinger. Yeah. yeah well, tell you what, though, Ottinger is well on his way. You're going to be getting that guy. They just have no money. They yeah. should have signed him to a long-term deal. Well, I mean, yeah, just. You know, when they get Robertson done, there are going to be a lot of players coming down Dallas's pike trying to get some players. Um, last question. Uh, so I heard this funny story today about Tom Fitzgerald. I had no clue that his, that he was roommates with Bruce Boudreaux when they played together in the minors. Springfield's first roommate. Wow. And the stories that I heard today on the Fitzy and Boudreaux living together is just so funny. Didn't your brother play with Bruce and had a funny little uh thing uh, when he walked I, I, I should get his permission but of course i can tell it is so f- it's funny to me but bruce is one of a kind just a, a great throwback yeah. personality so my brother got traded from he was in moncton which was winnipeg's minor league team and i'm trying to think he went to san diego which was a huge improvement and then he got traded <laughs> to fort wayne so he shows up in fort wayne on a game day and they had a game that night and so he gets to the locker room at noon, and there's a guy in there. He thinks it's a trainer sitting in the locker stall. So my brother says, hey, uh, excuse me, where should I throw my bag? I just got traded here, and I'm, I'm playing tonight. I'm going to go back to the hotel. And he says, what do I look like, the effing trainer? And he said the guy was sitting there. He said he looked a little overweight, and he had mustard on his shirt, and he was eating, a McDon- he was eating McDonald's <laughs> in the stall. So my brother didn't think anything of it and thought, oh, no, that didn't go so well, and it wasn't the trainer, but he just put his bag somewhere, came back that night. That person that was eating McDonald's with mustard on his shirt and looked a little heavy, had like four goals that night. He was the MVP of the game, and his He's, name was Bruce Boudreau. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I mean, and the, like I've asked Bruce about that question and he, that story, and he remembers it. He goes, he goes, I said to him, I'm not the fucking equipment manager. I'm the captain. <laughs> like it was just like, it was just okay, like, that's what it was. Oh, man, that's what it was. So funny. 
Oh, man. Well, this was a lot of fun. Uh, always just really fun talking to you. Great stories as well. Um, you know, thanks for everybody for coming out here to Elsie's. Um, again, next live show, Brianne, is October 12th at Split Rocks in Wyoming. That is going to be a really fun show. Not only will Auntie LaPanta be back, we assume, uh, unless the uh, twins are going to somehow go to the World Series or something. I don't think that's happening. Um, so he'll be back. Uh, we're going to be introducing Joe Smart Smith to the market as well. So Joe, as long as the uh, Hurricane Ivan right now hasn't taken out uh, his like entire life and his house and all that stuff, he'll be up here by then. And uh, and uh, really looking forward to him joining me as a partner in uh, arms here covering the wild. So we'll be introducing him October 12th at Split Rocks. It's such a great place up in Wyoming, so definitely come on out there. The next time we're here at Elsie's is October 8th. Thanks, Ben, for doing this. Thanks, Gwen, for the uh, great end of the podcast story. And, Michael, thank you for having me. What a great crowd here at Elsie's. Good-looking group, some great <laughs> questions. Yep. And uh, they, we're so lucky to have you, Michael. Everything you do for the Wild, keep us informed, uh, and you get your ear to the team. We know <laughs> exactly. that. Um, and thanks to our, all our sponsors, uh, not only all the Tuttle's uh, restaurants here, but uh, Moe's, Kowalski's. Bosch Law Firm, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Royal Credit Union, of course, Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Thanks, everybody, for coming on out. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. All oh, but the world.